Yeah, like the emotional led, negative emotion, I would say, like the more sad type of creative have probably worked better. That's kind of what we've seen do the best, but you also have to be very careful. Like you don't want to go too far in that direction and make people feel too uncomfortable or fall into a trap of what one of the media buyers calls it as like tragedy porn. You don't want to go too far in that direction. And then also the charity doesn't want you to do that either because you're kind of, you know, have too many of these kind of negative connotations. And But to do, you still need to be real in a way and show the impact, show before, afters. But yeah, I think there is quite a fine line in, in how we approach that. This is the Customer Acquisition Show the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello, welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I'm your host, Tom Merritt, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. And today I'm joined by Amy Neely, one of our expert copywriters, former media buyer, and Will Palmer, who leads up all of our YouTube media buying. And today we are talking about all things digital marketing for nonprofits. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. Good to be here. It's good to have you both back. I know you've been on on previous episodes, so I'm happy to dive in and talk about some of the unique things that you both have figured out for digital marketing for nonprofits. All right, so talking about digital marketing for nonprofits, like walk me through a little bit, like how you approach whether it's a long-term customer with a new strategy or a new client onboarding. How do you first approach your strategy for them? Amy, do you want to start off maybe talking a little bit about the research phase and how we kind of develop those? personas? Right. So that's similar. Only in a nonprofit, your pers- your buyer, your donor is not the recipient of the product. So there's an extra layer, but you're still researching to see what people are saying about the experience of donating through a charity. And then you also want to know what the end product is. So just seeing what's your customer, the donor, what is their understanding of what they're purchasing? So it's all the same research. There's just an extra layer and level because there's a recipient and a donor are two different people. So you have to know both what you're delivering and what the people are buying. Whether it's a nonprofit or a D2C brand, like you're always still selling something. What are you selling in a nonprofit like marketing campaign? So that sense of accomplishment that you did something bigger than yourself, empowering that there was a huge problem and you're part of the solution. So people can have lots of different emotional benefits from donating to a charity. So yeah, it's very emotionally driven purchase decision, but then you have to back that up with facts. There's a lot of distrust among charity ask, and especially in social medias, that's easy to discount like, oh, I'm not going to trust that. And so, yeah, there's a lot of hurdles, but showing the transformation stories and building that trust so that people are confident to make a donation. Okay. So I guess there's a few things to dig in on on something like that. Trust being one of them. And I know this is something that aligns a lot with what we've been doing and talking about here at Tier 11, which is this awareness, consideration, conversion model, and specifically using awareness and consideration to build a brand. And I think that brand is what leads to trust in the charity space. So how do you advise your clients to like really build their brand and make sure they use that for the main trust factor? Or is that even the main trust factor? Yeah, I think that's been something we've been diving into a lot over the last year, Tom, is making sure we have a good amount of our media spend that's going towards top of funnel content. And we're not just driving traffic to donation pages or trying to get the donation straight away. We're really trying to educate that prospect. 
we're sending them to pages that are like blog content or that's talking more about the charity, what the charity does. Also using that content more like middle of funnel and bottom of funnel. So once people have already been introduced to the charity, they can then see, okay, this charity is legitimate. Here's the credentials. This is what they do. This is how my donation or how my money is being used once I do spend it. Because obviously, yeah, like Amy mentioned, you do have that kind of barrier to overcome that it's different from a regular like for-profit business, e-commerce or a service where, you know, people spend their money and they get that physical product or they know they're getting that service. Whereas with a charity, you give your donation and sometimes it can be very confusing. You're not exactly sure where that money goes or how much of that donation is actually being used to help the cause that you're actually donating to. How do you show people, I mean, in your experience, like where the money's going to and that is actually going to the cause? Again, it's just driving traffic to different types of pages, educating the prospect through those different pages, showing the process of the charity, showing how that money is being used. And yeah, obviously, you know, it has to be a legitimate charity that that you're working with already that you're media buying for and once you once that's the case these processes will already be in place and it's just a matter of showcasing them and making sure you're getting that content in front of people all right so okay in the digital marketing space i think coming out of this era where conversion is like the driver of all these things and think about this show and kind of the nonprofits that we've worked with in the past and how that process has changed over the years that we've had some of these clients can you talk a little bit about the journey going from just being solely focused on getting that donation versus where we are now and on some of these clients? Yeah, I think it kind of comes back a lot to, Amy, to the process that we've put in place recently around these pillars that we've developed. So we have three different categories of pillars. We have our emotional pillars, our functional pillars, and the last one is the authority pillars. So, Amy, do you want to talk a little bit around those and how we're kind of using those three different category of pillars to tailor our message basically for each stage of the funnel, the top, middle and bottom? Yeah, I think something that's kind of changed as we've grown and scaled different nonprofits is that when you start, you can kind of go through all those levels pretty quick, but then you get all those donors in order to scale and expand, you have to kind of lengthen that cycle and go okay, we're only going to capture people emotionally on this ad and then maybe we'll retarget them and then do the next level of the educational. So they see a heartwarming story about, oh, this was a wonderful transformation. It just kind of promotes that curiosity. So they'll want to learn more. And then they might watch the educational ad. We've tried just running the straight like educational to cold traffic and that style didn't go so well because people just weren't interested until they were like, oh yeah, I know something about this problem. So now let me learn more. So instead of doing that all in one, when we're just starting out and you have that smaller audience, then as you scale, you need to get more people on board to open their minds to be curious about that particular problem of the charity. And then even the authority one, you can even start there. Some people don't want to hear about a charity unless they know it's legitimate. So some people will respond to that at level one. So we're just kind of mixing and matching. And instead of just going for the donation page, we send people to the blogs. There's lots of stories. So it's fun to work with the charities that have the great content. It can be hard when you're working with patients. So it's vulnerable populations, but a lot of charities have great stories. And just to have one that has all that content can make it really fun. It's about us being very observant as well and kind of working even with the charity's social team, their organic social team. And 
let's say we're observing Google Analytics, seeing which pages are getting the most traction or the most time on site, talking with the organic social team, seeing what type of content they're getting the most traction on or what pages they're seeing are doing the best. And then once we find a page like this, it might be a blog, a blog post, or it could be maybe it's just like the charity's process. So how that donation goes from your pocket through the whole system and how that's being used through that process. So whatever the page is, we'll look at that page, we'll decide, okay, what is the emotion that this page is getting across? Is it a is it like empathy? Is it hope? Or is it more of a functional? Is it talking about the price? Is it talking about the trustworthiness of the charity? And once we've kind of established you know, where that page fits in, in terms of the emotional pillars. Um, we can then take that, create our ads, create our different hooks around that, and that's how that fits into the journey. And, and oftentimes on the top of funnel, when we're talking about emotional pillars, it is more like these blog posts, things like that, rather than getting into the functional or like the price-focused authority pillars. We're optimizing there more for like clicks or landing page views and things like that. So it's a lot cheaper. So that means we can cast our net a lot wider and our money goes a lot further. So that's, again, how we're able to scale a lot more than just running like conversion campaigns straight to donation pages. Basically, we're like creating this very large audience of people who are interested in this type of content. They've clicked the ad away from Facebook onto this blog post, and then we can remarket those with donation ads or different authority-focused ads. And yeah, that's just one strategy that we've used to scale a lot over the last few months with a couple of the charities we're working with. So you're talking about like, I mean, click campaigns, video views, and really kind of expanding the brand awareness for some of these charities. I think some of our clients we started with on Facebook, and maybe we've, you know, to keep going with your fishing analogy, have fished to that pond quite well. Talk a little bit about going into bigger open waters to really keep expanding that brand's awareness across other platforms and just kind of being everywhere. Yeah, I suppose that's it exactly. Like for such a long time, we've just been conversion focused. You know, we've just been trying to get the donation, trying to get the the cheapest cost per donation we can or the cheapest cost per new donation and focused heavily on testing the ads, testing after the click. But now it's a lot more about putting this extra layer of brand awareness. So yeah, we're doing video views, we're doing link clicks, really, like you were saying, like brand awareness style to just generate interest. That's what's basically allowed us to scale so much over the last couple of months is by having this extra layer. And yeah, I suppose creating a bigger pond for us to fish in. The traffic harmonizer plays into that too, because charities have an expertise, they're solving a major problem. So they can be on LinkedIn and feature their experts in that field. And then that gets more people involved. And that's going to be a lot different than when they're on TikTok and they're just getting young people aware and involved and motivated to share socially or tell stories. There's a lot of different strategies that will reach different people on different platforms. Talk a little bit about how you would approach creative differently for each of these platforms. You kind of hit on like the high level, like who might be watching there, but for a charity out there, a nonprofit, and they think that TikTok is only for dancing. Talk a little bit about how you would approach the creative aspects for each of these. Yeah, so just match it, make it native to the platform. So on TikTok, don't talk about the big conference that your charity was a speaker at and I mean all the business official authority stuff. Show the kids dancing because they're so happy that they had this great transformation. Be genuine and be authentic. And there's different aspects of your organization. So just feature what part is relevant according to the platform. Yeah, we should really have Rachel on to talk about this because 
This is something that we're actually going through at the minute with one of our charities. We're expanding to TikTok. She's been kind of diving into that whole process. But like Amy said, it's really just about being authentic and real and tailoring your strategy to the specific platform that you're on. TikTok is a different piece. It's kind of a benefit of a, a nonprofit is you have all those layers. So you can choose from the experts at the top, the recipients, the donors. We've seen a lot of success just telling donor stories. So it's just the opportunity for ordinary people to give a small donation or monthly donation and they're achieving extraordinary things, putting on races in their neighborhood to raise money and awareness. I mean, yeah, so it's that hope that, hey, I'm just a plain old person, but look at this amazing thing that I took part of. So that's what a charity is often selling is going from ordinary to something big. Yeah, I think that donor aspect and like being super clever about how you engage them and create virality there. I mean, I still remember years ago, I think it was Charity Water. They had a donate your birthday where instead of getting presents that you'd, people, you would get your own link that people would donate to and it would go to that charity. Have you seen any other like interesting things like that in the donor space? We had an idea. We haven't followed through on it yet, but it's putting the spotlight more on people who work for the charity. Like this is the CEO. So like tell us three things that you love about your job or the CMO or the logistics guy, the social media person and i think that just gives a really human side to the charity a kind of a behind the scenes look and probably helps with that credibility legitimacy people feel like they're giving to a legitimate charity i suppose or a trustworthy charity an easy win on on meta is just putting the frames around so you can run ads for asking people to put the little awareness frame on their profile picture so that's a good way to get the word out and that social proof that hey look at all these people that have this kind of frame supporting this charity. I mean, that's, I imagine, huge for building awareness. And I think uh, charities are and nonprofits are really pretty interesting in that really kind of different than e-com businesses, right? And how you plan. This is the biggest time of year for all businesses that are e-com, but also like for charities, this is the time of year that we're coming into, right? How do you plan for the end of the year with charities? Yeah, it's giving season. So it's that building audiences in advance before things get super expensive. So definitely heavy on the content and building up that trust now while things are a little less expensive. And then knowing that those conversions will come during the giving season and end of year with tax benefits and stuff. Definitely a lot of charities are on a strict budget. So knowing that, hey, I'm spending these budgets when things are needed, planning that out really carefully. Yeah, and it's the time of year that you can really kind of reap some of those benefits of, you know, a lot of that brand awareness that you've been building throughout the year. So hopefully that's the time of year that you'll actually start to convert a lot of that audience with tailored messaging around the holiday or the giving season or, you know, putting emphasis on, yeah, some of the tax benefits that people get from donating to charities. And yeah, one thing that we found works really well is when there's like a special offer or when you match the donation, when the charity matches the donation. So that type of offering works really well, especially when we can match it to certain like international awareness months. There's certain international awareness months for different types of causes or like International Women's Day. And you can match your creative to show a woman and her baby or whatever it is or International Breastfeeding Week or month. So when you can kind of match your creatives to these international awareness events that are taking place, that works really well, especially when they're paired with an offer as well or a match donation. 
So in thinking like this campaign as a year long campaign, how do you engage with your client and build that trust in them that might be a lot of money going out the rest of the year with not so much coming in, but here's how we plan to, like, how do you build that trust and give them faith that it's going to work? Well, I think it's quite probably similar to a lot of the for-profit businesses that you still need to be working towards your KPIs month over month. You still need to make sure that there is donations or money coming in month over month and that yeah, a lot of the brand awareness that you're doing, like you can't be kind of held to a specific number there. You're doing that for the greater good of the business, basically. And without that, you're going to be missing a crucial cog in the wheel. It's all kind of working in synergy. So yeah, I think a lot of the time, the person who you're working with, the CMO or the business owner, they just have to understand that, especially these days, there has to be that extra layer now of brand awareness and we need to start fishing in a bigger pond and that's how we're going to get scale. Anything else to add there, Amy? Yeah, I think when you're working with a nonprofit, nonprofits have the mindset of we need to squeeze every little bit we can out of every little dollar. So we have to have that same mindset. So even though we're running to a blog post that we don't expect to drive donations, we can show that, hey, this was still valuable money spent because now we know this type of patient or or recipient really got a lot of engagement. So we're getting those learnings that can help us in the conversion campaigns too. So just always showcasing that, hey, this isn't money. That's just only building audiences and also building awareness of what works and what doesn't. We're tracking that and sharing that with their team. So then they can write emails. So we find a particular patient story that just does great in an ad that was really cheap to run because it was just traffic. Then they can send out an email and that maybe that will convert. So just passing on that knowledge so that they can get everything they can out of every advertising dollars. That's why I think it's so important to have a really good point of contact where you do have the feedback from the different marketing teams. Has there been anything that has kind of surprised you that's worked for some of the clients that you've maybe heard from one of the other marketing teams? One thing I suppose that surprised me that works so well for one charity in particular is YouTube. We kind of started it out as a pretty small test, a very small fraction of the overall budget. Just the cost per donation, which is the, the conversion that we're optimized for, was, was amazing, like so much better than Facebook. Like we're talking probably about half the price of what we're getting on Facebook. So yeah, that's definitely been one thing that surprised me. And we thought maybe it was because we're running at such a reduced scale. But since then, we've been running it now for well over a year, probably a year and a half. We've been kind of gradually scaling up ever since then. And it's just continued to to perform basically and we're not 100% sure why that platform is working <laughs> so much better than Facebook even though it still is at a smaller scale maybe it's the bigger audience maybe the creatives are just resonating more on YouTube but yeah that's just one channel that we found has worked really well for one of the charities how has the success of that in the past driven what you want to do next there on YouTube yeah in this case again it's kind of taking out some of what we've been doing on Facebook in terms of approaching the content with this kind of emotional pillar mindset and having like more emotional type of content top of funnel, optimizing for maybe cost per view or landing page or clicks, something like that, something that's a lot cheaper. So kind of using that type of objective with that type of content top of funnel and then more middle of funnel asking for the donation and then bottom of funnel, either asking for the donation again or else sending traffic to like maybe more of an authority focused page that talks again about like where that donation is going or the legitimacy of the charity. Taking some of that strategy from Facebook and applying it to YouTube has worked really well. Do they have their own YouTube channel? Yeah, 
yeah, you need a YouTube channel to run YouTube ads, but you don't actually need to be active on YouTube. But this charity in particular is active on YouTube and they do have a big following on YouTube. They have over like 100,000 subscribers. Pretty good. Yeah. They are a really nice charity to work with, aren't they, Amy, in terms of content and getting content and there's no issues there. Yeah, I can definitely get swept away just reading all the yeah, beautiful yeah. stories That's and watching the videos. It's really one thing good. That I found as well working with a charity is you get that sense that you're really working with real people. Again, it's the people who are donating and then it's where the money is going. And there's a much stronger emotional connection you have to it. Because sometimes with media buying, you can get caught up in the numbers and you're working with huge budgets and you're just looking at numbers all day and you're trying to get the cheapest cost per acquisition or you're trying to hit ROAS goals or you're like scale, scale, scale. Whereas this, you have that more of a human connection. You can see that, you know, you're actually doing good with the media buying. You're targeting real people who are really donating to an actual cause that's making a bigger change in the world. So that's been great. Yeah, you're asking people to be unselfish. Usually in marketing, you're trying to be like, you deserve this. You <laughs> So this is pretty inspire people to be unselfish and selfless giving. No, at tier 11, we say our mission is to help purpose-driven brands achieve their vision. I think this is kind of like one of the prime examples of how we do that. You guys are people. Talk about, about the emotions and the feelings that you have on working on something like this. You hit on a little bit, but go deeper. I think one interesting thing about it is you kind of have to think like a script writer because you're showing your recipients. So you want them to know that, hey, this is really hard and they're sad, they're in pain, they feel hopeless, but you don't want your audience to feel hopeless. You have to make sure that the emotion triggered in them is empowerment and action. So yeah, just that fine balance of, yeah, this is what you're seeing happening. It's sad and really devastating, but you can feel good. You can feel happy. You can feel great because you're the solution. So yeah, building that bridge between the current situation that's so hard and the solution does take action and just positioning those different things, balancing all those emotions. Because you don't want to leave people just feeling too sad. Facebook doesn't like that. You won't get good reach if your stuff is just depressing. And people won't take action if they're like, oh, yeah, that's a terrible situation. That's awful. Let me scroll by. (laughs) So making that pivot quick enough that they know, hey, this is actually a happy ending story. And you've been really passionate about working on nonprofits, Amy. Talk a little bit about why you like working on them so much. I just like human psychology. That's what got me into marketing in the first place. So yeah, it's fun to understand. I love reading all the comments and you had asked about surprising things too. I think maybe one of the things that surprised me was how well just featuring donors did because the stories seem so vivid. They're such good stories when you have that hopelessness to victory. That seems like, oh yeah, this is a marketer dream. What a transformation. But the donors really are no different. So you have their before picture, they're just a person scrolling on Facebook and after they're just a person who helps somebody on Facebook. So there's not a big transformation, but those stories and those images just a normal picture of a person and then a little blurb about how they felt donating or why they donate if they say why they did. So that's done really well. And so that stuff is fascinating. That can be what compels people even more than a big transformation is just some individual person saying, yeah, this is good. And I do it every month because I know it makes a difference. And it can be as simple as that. Yeah, I guess that was probably a surprising thing as well, wasn't it, Amy? We wouldn't have thought that would have worked as well as highlighting the recipients of the donor. Yeah, it can run for months with the <laughs> crazy. I guess it goes quite a bit into the idea of testing and not having preconceived notions. Can you talk a bit more about the testing that you've been doing and maybe even the pillar framework that you work within? 
Yeah, that's definitely helped just having, because I mean, there's so many good stories and so many ideas so that it's easy to just throw everything out there and be like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. So you can definitely just keep throwing stuff, but that's very expensive. So having the creative framework and having that structure and being able to test and then take insights and then develop the next story and do it more strategically rather than just a whole bunch of good stuff has been helpful. I think that's been a big improvement in the structure, the pacing, especially that we're putting out creatives has slowed down and we're actually seeing better results because we're stopping to think about, okay, what did we learn from this creative? And a creative may run for six months with several iterations And then knowing, okay, it's time to pause this one and we'll come back to that because it went for six months. But yeah, just taking the time to draw those learnings out of the successes and the things that don't work. Yeah. And then we're also like documenting all of those learnings that happen from the iterations and kind of keeping those, I suppose, universal learnings in, in a separate document. So then when we do go and create like a brand new creative or if we get a new story that we need to like develop creatives from we can take those learnings that have happened over months and different iterations and we can just apply them then to the first iterations we've been seeing a lot of success with that as well and that way we have a stockpile too of little components that we can mix and match so if we need a new thumbnail we know hey this smiling face does really well so we're going to use that as a thumbnail on this ad that wasn't really getting people to watch it that is helpful too just to save those winners and know hey or just knowing that this ad isn't working, but this part of it is. One of the KPIs is working, but it just overall isn't working. But how can what can I take from it and rebuild it with other things that do work to make it better? Yeah, I think it's also enabled a lot of conversation between the media buying team and the creative team in terms of the video producers or the copywriters, the art director. Whereas I think in the past, it's been hard to kind of get really good collaboration between those creative people and the media buying team. But this has really forced us together and to look deeper at the creatives and sit on calls and discuss, okay, what is it that's working about this? And even the creative team are more aware of how tests, how things are being implemented in Facebook and how tests are being run and understanding the kind of the theory behind it. Yeah, that's something that I've seen that's been I suppose, like a secondary benefit of the whole new creative strategy that we've put in place. It's really interesting how much things are changing. I remember, I mean, it was always more creative, more creative, faster, more faster. And now we're slowing things down and it's a lot more successful, which I mean, it just goes to show how marketing is always evolving and changing and you have to be adaptable as marketers. Yeah, more strategic, I think, like Amy said, it's giving us a lot more a strategic approach to it. And we understand in terms of pillars and then in terms of hooks, what's working, what's iterating, where it should be in the funnel, and then sometimes taking things out of that context. So something that was originally maybe a bottom of funnel idea. Okay, let's try that on top of funnel and we can still mix and match a lot like that. But yeah, it's just always testing. So talking about things that worked, what are some things that didn't work that you thought would work? You got any good examples of that, Amy? Well, I kind of like to know the how things work. There are a lot of successful companies that have those how-to videos and how things work with the animation and so a little explainer type video. So I thought that would do really well. And we really haven't had a lot of success with that. Just the scale of that one did not take off. Actually, remember the targeting by cities? So we thought like targeting by specific cities or regions and like calling out that region in the creative... Yeah. So the targeting worked to buying in a specific region. So like, oh, well, let's 
call that out and put it in the messaging and make it more. Usually you want to call out your audience. So we've tried like talking to nurses, talking to truck drivers, talking to people in Boston and just calling them out. And that didn't work. That was kind of interesting that we saw it worked as a targeting strategy to target people in a specific city. But then when we put that into the creative, it fell flat. So people didn't want to be called out to donate to a charity, I guess. They'd rather be wooed with the emotions. That is a really good example of different departments talking to each other, looking for signals anywhere and using that to drive the next step of your marketing strategy. Yeah. Yeah, there was one kind of an influencer, a celebrity was a supporter of a charity. And so then just knowing that, hey, let's use that for targeting. That was helpful. And then, okay, well, if people like that celebrity, then they might also like this type celebrity. So yeah, it can lead you into more targeting options by just seeing what works. Talk a little bit about finding that right balance of what to show as far as ads go for the creative visually and what's maybe a little bit too far. Yeah, Amy, you probably have some good examples. Yeah, definitely want to be respectful of the recipients and don't take away anybody's dignity and make sure that Facebook is approved following those compliance things. Is that what you mean? Or we were talking about beforehand about not being like too real or not fluffy enough, like finding that balance because, you know, people are on Facebook for entertainment and enjoyment and you don't want to disrupt that too hard, but you still want to capture their attention. Yeah, like the emotional-led, negative emotion, I would say, like the more sad type of creative have probably worked better, haven't they, Amy? Like that's kind of what we've seen do the best, but you also have to be very careful. Like you don't want to go too far in that direction and make people feel too uncomfortable or fall into a trap of what one of the media buyers calls it as like tragedy porn. You don't want to go too far in that direction. And then also the charity doesn't want you to do that either because you're kind of, you know, have too many of these kind of negative connotations. And But to do, you still need to be real in a way and show the impact, show before, afters. But yeah, I think there is quite a fine line in, in how we approach that. All right. So some of the nonprofits we've had, we've had for a really long time. Talk a little bit about the plan year over year and how you and the clients think about the longevity of some of their donors. Sure. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize donors and make them feel important too, so that they're seeing the thank you stuff and honoring the donors that keep giving year after years, just doing ads that really are just pure thank you, has worked well for us. And then even running ads to both levels at the same time. So you have people that love to raise their hand and say, hey, I donate to this every month or I gave to this or I helped this child. Or So yeah, you get those testimonials right in the comments of people when you kind of mix the traffic a little bit too. It'd be helpful. Yeah, like we definitely run a lot of traffic, not a lot, but we run a certain portion of traffic to these pages, what we call alternative pages. And they're different pages that that aren't focused just on a conversion or a donation, or it's not even about brand awareness because it's not a top of funnel campaign, but it is helping, I suppose, to not brand awareness, but like increase the brand's credibility and boost the brand. And that's pages like thank you pages and different kind of competitions and showing different sides of the charity. So yeah, I think that's kind of one way that we we as kind of media buyers can help the charity give back and recognize the donors. And it's helpful to show the live events too. So lots of charities have live events. It might be a race, it might have a billboard, but yeah, bringing those real world and social worlds together and showing real things are happening, not just on the ground, on the mission, but also 
there's people that are getting involved, there's people that are volunteering, there's volunteer opportunities. So sometimes the offer might not be to send money. Sometimes you want people to do something. So maybe you want them to start a race or start one of the little Facebook fundraisers. So there's different things that you can consider asking of people. You talked a little bit about offers. What are some of the offers that you've seen that have worked really well? And do charities tend to do better in your experience with like the month, like the monthly giving offer or the once a year big chunk of change offer? Or is that even a thing? Yeah, I think they need to offer both because some people are just scared of that monthly commitment. So some people won't do that, but some people would rather give a small amount and then just know, hey, this is only five or 10 bucks a month. And so that's very empowering to them to think, oh, it's so small, but I'm doing something so big over time. So that's a great offer to show people how they can do a major transformation. And it doesn't have to be a big hit to their budget or whatever. It can be just a monthly part and it makes them feel like they're part of something too. So give them a special name, make it a via. IP experience for people versus the one-time donor, but you don't want to make them feel bad either. So yeah, appreciate and explain how even a small gift can do big things because nonprofits are very economical in how they spend money. So they have to be so accountable for to the board, to their donors. People aren't going to donate if they're wasting money on frivolous things. So you know, working with somebody that is so budget conscious, I mean, I know all of our clients we are budget conscious, but talk a little bit about like working with a partner that is so accountable for each dollar spent. Has that changed how you work on things or how you report? It's probably no different than working with a normal business in terms of like you always have to be super careful with how you're spending the money and, you know, you need to be accountable for it. Your reporting needs to be accurate. But yeah, I think when you're working with a big charity and there can be a board involved, Sometimes there is a more pressure um, and maybe they, they can ask for extras. There might be more frequent reporting that you need to do. You need to do a lot of forecasting, I would say. Amy, I know you've done a fair amount of forecasting in the past, which can take a lot of time. So yeah, I think that's maybe something more that board members of a bigger charity would need to see compared to more medium-sized businesses wouldn't have that element. Yeah. Any other differences that you can think of, Amy, on the budgeting? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it is a little limiting because if something's working, normally we'd want to like, oh, let's open up the floodgates. Let's spend all our money on this one ad in this one month. And so sometimes there's more limits with a nonprofit that does have that monthly budget that has to be planned and approved in advance can be a little hard. Yeah, YouTube is a good actually example of that. Like I was mentioning, that's something that's working really well this year for us. But that budget has already been approved. So we're kind of trying to see, okay, how can we kind of go back to them and say like, look, we need to take some budget from Facebook and put it into YouTube. But because it's a bigger charity, there's board members involved. It's not an easy task like it would be for any kind of a normal business. I think that's why it's important for charities that have partners that understand the complexity of all this and the bureaucracy that often goes into it. And I know something that we take great pride in is working with them to make sure that not only do we do a good job in helping them achieve their goals, but also helping our point of contact look good internally so that he can show he's doing a good job and for the charity overall. Yeah, always giving that value of this is what we spend, this is what we learn, this is what we're doing next. So always being that good partner that's super valuable. Is there any points that we've missed or glossed over about some of the differences working with a nonprofit versus for-profit businesses? Not really. I think I just last kind of point for me is like, I think there is a lot of similarities for us as a performance marketing agency working with a charity who are primarily looking for donations. 
there is a lot of similarities working with a non-profit organization with a for-profit organization. One of the main differences that I talked about was it's more of an emphasis is on the charity's mission or the impact that that charity is trying to bring to the world, their values or the change that they're seeking to bring compared to a for-profit where their focus is more on products, services, benefits of those products or services or the change that they're trying to bring to the consumer that you're marketing to rather than the change that you're trying to bring to the world. So that's kind of one of the bigger ones. And then on a personal level, there's a lot more satisfaction working with this type of a business where you're yeah, like making a greater good than some of the other for-profit businesses. How about you, Amy? Any uh, final thoughts? Yeah, just to make sure you're listening and watching. So there can be so many fun ideas that because it is emotional and you're going to fall in love with one story, but to look at all the different levels. I mean, donor stories sound a little boring, but that moves people and it works. So yeah, just always looking at the results and continuously analyzing and seeing, oh, just because this recipient is super cute doesn't mean that's going to work. So keep always looking at data and be data-driven, even though it's an emotional thing, dealing with a nonprofit a lot. Uh, Number one rule for marketers is you're not always a customer. Make sure that you are listening to the actual customers, using their words, what's driving their decisions, and using that for your marketing and not just what you feel. Well, Amy, Will, thank you both very much for hopping on today and talking about this area of passion for Tier 11, which is helping nonprofits achieve their vision. And if you're a nonprofit out there or even a for-profit business and you'd like some help coming into the probably your biggest time of year, head over to tier11.com and click the big pink button. We'd love to chat with you and see how we can help you achieve your vision this year. Amy, Will, thank you. And everybody else, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.